Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My next guest on Late Lunch this afternoon hails from Trim and works for the Irish Times. Suzanne Lynch is the newspaper's Washington correspondent, having previously served as the Times European contributor from 2013 to 2017. I was just thinking, her coming here today, how would I sum this up? From the frying pan to the fire? Let's find out. She's with me in the hot seat. Suzanne, you're very welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me on Late Lunch this afternoon. Well, is it? Was it? Well, you're right. I mean, I thought I was in Brussels for four years and that was back when Ireland was still in a bailout and we'd got the IMF EU bailout and we were just coming out of that. So a lot of my work, uh, my first year in Brussels was around that. Uh, and then the refugee crisis happened and I was de- around covering that down in the border and Turkey and Syria and different refugee camps. And then um, and then Brexit happened. Uh, that happened about six months before I left. So I thought I was busy there. And then... Uh, I was moved to Washington to take up the position as Washington correspondent. Now, I have to admit, I thought I was going when there would be another president uh, in place. Myself, like everyone else, did not think that Donald Trump was going to uh, win the election in 2016. So um, I was all imagining myself for this possible job that, you know, I was going for this interview in the Irish Times for the Washington job, but always thinking it would be Hillary Clinton, not expecting Donald Trump. But look, ultimately it might be a better thing for being a journalist anyway, because um, Donald Trump, the Trump president, is just so relentless, so you know, just so news heavy all the time that it's just a very different job, I think, than it would have been under Hillary Clinton. I think that things would have been a lot calmer. She would have been taking over from Obama, a Democratic uh, president, and it would have been a lot more predictable. Uh, but of course, for obvious reasons, it has been nothing uh, nothing uh, predictable at all about the Trump presidency. We're on this side, and, and when you're a bit removed, you wonder the spin you get on news, because mm. we get a lot of British news here as well as Irish news also. Is it a as chaotic as the picture is painted. Yeah, I think to an extent, um, I do think it's chaotic and I think that's the, one of the main problems for Donald Trump. Uh, he was he had no experience as a politician and frankly, I think it shows. I think that's one of the issues with him, the people around him. There's obviously been a huge churn of staff, but he's a man who, who I don't think is used to working in this environment, used to working for himself essentially um, and he's a combative, uh, conflict-driven kind of an individual. So I do think it's chaotic But I do think there is a certain amount of spin. We do have to remember that, 
you know, half the country, not quite, he didn't win the popular vote, but he did win the election. And more than 60 million people across America vote for Donald Trump. And it's always important to remember that. So uh, as a journalist, I think in particular, it's very easy to get caught up in Washington because it's so busy and there's so much happening in Washington in terms of policy and the chaos of the Trump administration. Uh, it's always important to take the temperature of the, of the country and get out there. I've done that a bit and it's always been informative because it reminds you of the very different reasons people voted for Donald Trump. So I think there was a stereotype about the Trump voter, the kind of white working class wearing the red cap kind of voter. And yes, there was that was the key to his victory in, in the key swing states because a lot of those kind of voters would have traditionally voted Democrat. But there are also millions of people across Kansas, across Nebraska, you know, big rural states of America, uh, millions of Republican voters who also voted for Donald Trump. Uh, because he was a Republican candidate, they were never going to vote for Hillary Clinton. Um, and that's so I think it's it very, very easy uh, to simplify uh, the Trump phenomenon, a bit like what people tend to do with Brexit, I think, a bit. You know, we do have to remember, I think here's a little bit of group think about Brexit, you know, oh, isn't Britain, you know, making the mistake leaving? I think that, I agree. But you do have to think about why people voted and, and you know, we can't patronise people either. So that's a challenge in, in covering the Trump administration. I think he's got a point in that some of the media is biased against him. Unlike here, um, there's no real culture of national a national broadcaster like a BBC or an RTE. There is PBS in America, but it's, it's not as big. So what, what ends up happening is that cable news uh, dominates. So you've got Fox News on one side, which is very pro-Trump, but you also have CNN and MSNBC, which are extremely anti-Trump. No one is in the middle. No one is trying to see it from both points of view. And I think that's a real, it, it, it's, a, it's a failure of American society in a sense. And I think it kind of entrenches the political divisions that are now uh, characterising America so much. And I think we have to say as well, some of the key indicators in terms of economics in America mm. are pointing very favourably for Trump as well. Mm. You know, a lot of things have gone his way. Yes. And he'll point this out as well. He'll say this very clearly. And people who voted for him are saying, look, this guy mm. is making a difference. Yes, exactly. I mean, I think the figures are that America now is in its ninth year of growth. Growth. It's the kind of second longest period of economic expansion for, for decades in America. Now, a lot of that was luck. And maybe Obama did the hard work when Obama came in. That was after the own, uh, their own financial crisis in 2008, 2009. Um, but look, the, the economic figures have been very strong. GDP is very strong. And just as I'm speaking to you there, I saw fresh figures coming out this morning from the US showing that job numbers, again, exceeded expectations. More people are in work. So this is really boosting Donald Trump. In saying that, in the last few weeks, actually, of 2018, there were jitters on the stock market. Um, there are worries uh, that about what he's doing with trade in China that that could really have a negative impact on the Chinese on the world economy. Um, also, he introduced uh, a lot of tax cuts. This really helped the pocket of uh, the everyman, if you like. But there is now a concern that the kind of economic benefits of that are going to fade over time. So that he's going to get a short-term boost. The economy has got a boost from that. That's going to inevitably fade. Uh, so I think, and that's something that worries Donald Trump. He's a man who styles himself as a successful businessman. He watches the stock market. Um, he thinks, he knows that this is something that plays well with his supporters. So he will be worried if things start changing in the economy. You know, we could see he's, he's been criticising the Federal Reserve that makes interest rate policy in the United States. Um, but I do think, and, and also in America, I think different than here, a lot more people, members of the public, citizens, 
have an interest in the stock market through their pension funds, their retirement funds, and they, yes. they're, they're very tuned into that. So if the stock market is going down, this does not play well for Donald Trump. So I think that's a worry that this could start uh, slowing down a bit in 2019. Now, while I have you here, I want you to do a little explaining for late launch listeners and the LMFM listeners today to simplify this for us because we're watching the shenanigans on Capitol Hill with Nancy Pelosi mm. and the change of guard there and the Democrats uh, taking the majority mm in that house so that is the bottom house representatives mm, yeah. then above that you have the senate yeah. and then you have the president yeah. I want to ask you this they've made a proposal because in case you're in some other planet or you're not following American politics there's a shutdown in government yeah. it's been on there for what 12 days or more yeah. uh, and there's a proposal now already to end that blockade, to fund government and part fund security on the Mexican mm. border. The mm. president wants funding for this bloody wall yeah. that he's talking about. Yeah. Will you explain, can the representative at the House of Representatives you know, make a difference? Well, and certain things they can, but you're right, Nancy Pelosi was elected. They, they won the majority in the mm. midterm election, so the Democrats are in control, but only in one of the two houses. Yes. So that's crucial. So yesterday she was appointed as a speaker and there was a whole song and dance that she's presented a new proposal to end the shutdown. But really, you know, she knows that Republicans in the Senate, who are still in the majority, you see, in the Senate, need everybody needs to be in, in agreement. So the Senate can veto this? Well, yeah, they, they'd get two versions of, the, of it and then they would kind of they would hash it out, negotiate it, and then ultimately the president has to sign it. Nothing will happen. He gets the bill. They, they decide on a, on a bill and then it goes to Donald Trump for signing. So they have to agree something he's going to sign, essentially. And he says, I ain't yeah. signing anything unless this wall is exactly. funded. So that is the big problem now. And um, the, the, but I, I predict, it's very hard. To, one thing about the shutdown is that he's not going to let this go. You can't just let the government shut down. Lots of the buildings are closed in Washington. People aren't getting paid. It will end up having to be clo- you know, st- be stopped at some point. But what may happen here is some kind of a fudge, I think. Donald Trump is very good at claiming victories out of very small victories. Uh, so what you might see is Donald Trump is looking for five billion they're you know they're offering 1.3 somewhere in the middle and then I think what's going to become clear is that the definition now of a wall he seems to be backtracking it on that saying well it doesn't actually have to be a big concrete wall it can kind of be slats or even kind of wiring because in some parts I, I, already there are walls at some of the border points between Mexico and America so actually I think he will he will end up being happy with something that's not a full blown wall but maybe something kind of in between so I'd say you'll see some kind of a of a compromise ultimately is the only way out of this because both people can block it both sides can block this so they're going to have to work together so this is the irony before now, before today for the first two years of his presidency the Republicans were in control of everything now they're not so the big failure that Donald Trump uh, is facing is that even when he had when the Republicans his party were in control they didn't get the wall done so it's very unlikely that they will maybe now uh, when Democrats but are in power but I think you see that that might benefit Donald Trump because I think he likes a foil he likes to be able to blame someone else so he's going to say oh well it's Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats fault so in a way this ironically having another party in power in the House of Representatives may benefit him because he loves that kind of conflict, I think, and he can blame them when things go wrong. That is such an interesting angle on it as well. And thanks for telling us that today. The other thing is, isn't it a real irony on a day when over 100 women, the greatest number ever, Mm. take seats in the House of Representatives from diverse backgrounds Mm. of people who he's trying to, in a way, marginalise, who their parents and grandparents came to America, made a new life for themselves, Mm. and here they are 
are being elected one or two mm. generations on. And yet he persists with this pulling everything back inward towards yeah. America. Yeah, you're right. There's lots of new faces in Congress now. First Muslim woman, I think. Yes. Youngest woman in Congress. First Indian, um, um, Native American Indian extract. Yeah, Palestinian woman. woman. Palestinian. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's a huge kind of, it's representing, if you like, the diversity of America. But you're right in that Donald Trump is only speaking to his base. This is what differentiates him from other presidents. Presidents, leaders of any country are supposed to unify. They're supposed to represent the entire country. And you always hear that kind of sentiment from presidents when they're inaugurated. Not Donald Trump. He has actually tried to deepen those divisions between who's for him and who's against him. So he's consistently speaking to his supporters who are still supporting him. But I think maybe the problem for him is that he's not reaching out to anyone else. In fact, he's alienating them more. And I think that's going to be a problem for him in the election, uh, that he's not reaching out. He's not going to make any more gains. Um, And and that's his strategy. And as I say, I think that's going to backfire. And I think uh, that... um, he he believes that criticising the opposition is, is the way to, to shore up his support. And what we've seen from some of his rallies, that seems to work with a lot of his supporters. I want to take a short break. Isn't she fascinating? I knew she would be. She's from Trim. She's one of our own in the North East here. And she's right at the heart of politics in America and the most powerful man in the world. Here's the thing now, right? He's halfway through, let's mm. say, his two years. And he's they have to be looking already at his re-election. I want to ask you a couple of things about that that intrigue me. Could he be opposed, number one, from within the Republican family? Okay, well, that's a good question. I would have said no until quite recently. Uh, One of the reasons being that Donald Trump has already set up a a serious re-election campaign which has already raised, I think, maybe over 100 million or some some huge amount of money. It's called American First, surprise, surprise. And a lot of kind of very experienced Republicans have been out there kind of getting that going. A lot of, you need a lot of money to run in America. So that would suggest that he's kind of, unlike the last time when he was kind of late out of the traps, he's very organised. So that would suggest that he was, would. In saying that, uh, it is possible that somebody will go against him on the Republican side. Uh, number one, What's very interesting in the last few days, one of the things I've noticed uh, since he's been inaugurated is that the Republican Party, his own party, most of whom did not want him as their president, you know, they opposed him when he ran, have really rode in behind him. And I think it's a a failing really on the Republican Party. They've let him away with a lot. Um, but, But there were always a few critics of Donald Trump in the Senate. There was John McCain who passed away this year, and Jeff Flake and Bob Corker were very critical. They're Republicans in the Senate. But they're gone. They decided not to run again. So you kind of have, everybody who's left has been quietly supportive of Trump, except Mitt Romney, who people may remember from former presidential campaign, quietly won a Senate seat in November, and he's coming into the US Senate. And this week, he wrote a big opinion piece in the Washington Post, very critical of Donald Trump, essentially saying he's not up to the job, that he's not up, you know, he hasn't risen to the mantle of president. So this is... you know, prompted speculation that perhaps he could take on Donald Trump for the Republican nomination. He ran before for president. He's quite, com- you know, he's quite popular among a lot of Republicans. He's in a way an anti-Trump figure. He's he's a Mormon, um, very kind of clean living, uh, very rich though as well. Uh, he was he was uh, involved in finance, which would please a lot of Republicans as well. Um, but there's now speculation that he could run. So if I think it's something, the the other thing to watch for, I suppose, this year is that the Russia investigation, the Mueller investigation, has happened. It has been taking place and it may report if there's something very negative from that 
Uh, then, A, you could see Republicans kind of panicking and saying we need to, a bit like what happened to Richard Nixon, his own party started deserting him and then he knew he was in trouble. You could see that. Um, and then they, they're looking for another candidate. And you could see Trump maybe standing down if he feels, you know, that he, he'll call it a witch hunt, that, you know, he was pushed out essentially. Maybe Mike Pence will get in and then he could even ask for a pardon or something. So that's, I'm increasingly thinking that's more possible. Uh, but look, all signs are, though, that he has said he's going to run in 2020. Mm. But I think whatever coming out of this Russia investigation could indicate Will be next. the key thing. Yeah. It'd be a bit of a blow to him if somebody went in his own ranks, chuck him on, that's yeah. for sure. And it'd be an annoyance for him in having to go through that process mm. before he would tackle the main uh, opposition, which are the Democrats. Yeah. Now, coming on to that. Yeah. In the name of God, will mm. they get a candidate? Because yeah. I'm looking at names, Joe Biden, Michael Bloomberg, yeah. you know, yeah. etc. Is there somebody... Well, this is in the next few months. We're probably going to see the candidates emerge. Uh, they uh, by ne- by this autumn, you know, autumn two thousand nineteen, we'll have a very good idea of who's running. They'll be going up to those early states that vote Iowa, New Hampshire, uh, trying to get support. There's been a couple of names that have already said they're going to run. Elizabeth Warren. Um, has is essentially announced she's going to run. Bernie Sanders might make a run. Joe Biden, as you mentioned. Uh, my money at the moment, but <laughs> I should not make predictions, but I think who may run at least is Beto O'Rourke. People may have heard about him in the midterm elections. Obviously, he's an Irish name. It goes back quite a way, his Irish ancestry. Uh, he's a Texan member of Congress, um, uh, fluent Spanish speaker, that's where his name Beto comes from. So down in the border area of, between Texas and Mexico. He ran for a Senate seat in Texas, which is very Republican. He's a Democrat. Now, he didn't win. Ted Cruz ultimately won that seat, but he put up a very good fight and he raised a lot of money from around the country. And I saw him, I went to Austin, to Texas, and I heard him and I saw him. And I was a bit cynical saying, you know, is this guy kind of all, all talk? But I have to say, I thought he was electric. And he was very like Obama, a very good speaker, kind of young, dynamic, uh, talked, gave a me- message about unifying the country. He, he wasn't negative. He, he, he was talking, he didn't even criticise Donald Trump. He was talking about what connects us more as Americans, you know, more than divides us. That kind of rhetoric, I think that could work. And I think maybe he would, he could get support around the country. In saying that, a lot of people would say he's too much to the left. You know, he wants to legalise marijuana. And, you know, the, so maybe he is middle ground enough. But he's definitely the right age. I think one of the issues of Democrats is that nearly everyone I've mentioned there, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, etc., you know, will be in their 70s. That could be an issue uh, for Democrats. There's also a few women who said they may run. Kamala Harris, very good senator from California. Yes, I saw her this week. Yeah, very She's impressive. interesting, isn't she? But uh, some people would think that they don't, that the, some people would argue that they need a, a... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, People that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Boll & Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Boll & Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BollAndBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Kind of somebody who could get the working class male vote because that is the vote that ultimately swung the election for Donald Trump. Um, and someone like Bill Clinton, for example, could talk to you know people in the South, for example, that that those kind of working class workers, uh, and that they need. Whereas Hillary Clinton was seen as not being able to communicate with those at all. So uh, maybe somebody like Joe Biden would fit that mold completely. But he is very old, uh, and he kind of I've seen him again at an event actually in the Irish Embassy, and you know he's really pushing on. And whether he you know has got it for this run, it's difficult to know. No, you're right at the heart of it. You're in this room, and this man is there. Trump and all his advisors and aides and the spokespeople, etc. Is it intimidating? And in a way, you mentioned the polarization of the press. You're either for him or against him, and getting you know uh, neutral commentary yeah. on him may be difficult. Are people fearful? Could you be kicked out like? he's done with some yes, of them yes yeah I was at that press conference actually Where there. yeah the one with Jim Acosta <gasps> so if you look carefully you can see my, my little face in the background I didn't realise I was on air <laughs> until I started getting text messages from people so that was the day after the midterm elections now and me like everybody else I've been up half the night and I was writing stuff for, for the paper and for online and we got a notification. I'm, I would be on the kind of White House mailing list for all the journalists. And we, we got a notification saying the president is, is holding a press conference in maybe an hour. And I live a very walk of 20 minutes maybe from the White House. But I'd loads to write. One of the, my problems in my job is the time difference. So you're five hours behind in, in the US. So you're kind of yeah. a, always under pressure writing. So I said, God, I've loads to write now because it's the day after the midterms. Will I bother going to the press conference? So I said, right, I better go just in case. So off I went and uh, I'm accredited to go into the, the press conference. And I have a good bit of security, obviously, the Secret Service have to do a check beforehand. But I, I'm pleasantly surprised at how easy it is. Like when I was in Brussels, it was nearly more security getting into buildings. Whereas here or in Washington, you know, I was pleasantly surprised that I can go to, you know, the Irish Times can, can go into these news conferences. So I went in and then he started this this rant of a news conference that went on for 90 minutes. And that clip with Jim Acosta has been played again. And some people have criticised Jim Acosta, the journalist, for taking too much time. I really don't agree with that. I mean, I think it was 100% Trump's fault. I think he instigated it. 
he actually ran that. Usually in press conferences, um, there's a mediator. There's somebody who's taking the questions. He's managing the thing. But sure, he, he manages his own because he's a, a performer and he was on TV for so long. And I think he purposely picked these people, um, you know, that he could, as I say, he thrives on conflict. He loves that. Um, but no, I was I was very shocked at that. And um, being in there, he's a very physically imposing man. He's, he's well over like six foot two, three quite overweight but very very big and has got this kind of a aggressive stance where he dominates the space and as I say he's on his own up on that pedestal no press people beside him and you know over the years I've been in lots particularly in Brussels I've seen lots of people like Angela Merkel David Cameron and I just was sitting there our own Tisha Enda Kenya or Leo Varadkar and I was just sitting there thinking could you imagine someone behaving the way Donald Trump now is behaving where it was just this air of violence in the room and you know, I just think there's a sense of unreality. He's become detached from reality and from the expectations that surround his office and any leadership position. And I think it's it's very sad for America. And I think, so I think, in turn, does that mean that people are intimidated? You said he's an intimidating man. Does it intimidate no. journalists not to take him on? Well, yes, no, I don't think it does because a lot of people said, oh, why didn't people get up and walk out of the Jim Acosta? But th- that's what Trump would like. He would love to have no journalists asking a question and just to speak directly to people through Twitter um, and through kind of like the way dictators in the old Soviet Union used to speak on, you know, in Romania for three hours and, and speak. That's what it reminded me of being at, something like that. Uh, where do you need the media to question him and ask him the tough questions? So I think, no, I think the White House correspondents should not boycott the White House because of that. They need to keep asking questions. That's what's uncomfortable for him because he lies consistently. He, he misrepresents things on Twitter all the time. Um, I mean, that's a whole other argument, the fact that he has exploited social media so successfully. But it's it's quite dangerous because he can say things straight away, straight away that, that nobody can question. And, and of course, his famous phrase, fake news. So I think it's very important that the media keeps questioning him and are there in the White House when they can. You lived there close by. Was it a sea change from Europe to America? Do you like living in Washington? You know, like we hear about America and all its ills. I'm going to come on to the gun crime thing in, in, in a little while. But uh, is it a nice place to be? Yeah, Washington is a great city. It's very international. You have people from all over the world, journalists, people working. Maybe the IMF is based in Washington, for example. And so it's very international and it's a bit like Brussels that way. Uh, but it's a pretty competitive place, um, you know, even in the media scene. Uh, the journalists are quite competitive. You know, the American way is kind of they're very confident. Uh, there's none of this kind of sitting at the back row and hoping somebody will come to you. you have to be very kind of it's just a different culture. Uh, so I, I do I do really like Washington, but as I say, I think it's really important to get outside of Washington because then you see the real America. And there's no it's such a bubble in Washington and along the East Coast in New York as well. Whereas you know this year before the midterms, I was in Texas, I was in Kansas. Um, Georgia, all the St. Louis, Missouri, and you know, really getting to know what makes people tick. Like that's the challenge is to get out. Um, but this is Trump's big, big talent. He he ends up dominating the news to such extent that people are are not writing about other things that are going on in the country, and they get neglected. Much more important things are happening all the time. Whereas everybody's obsessed with the soap opera of the Trump administration that he's in fact blocking coverage of more important things that are going on. Irish Times Washington correspondent Dr. Suzanne Lynch. <laughs> Maya Culpa is with me on Late Lunch. I'm going to tell you about that in a moment. A few questions for you first. Kathleen wants to know, why is Trump not asking the Mexicans anymore to pay for the wall like he originally did? Very good. Very good, Kathleen. Well, very good question. Actually, as I mentioned earlier, he tends to kind of claim victories where there are none. He has actually suggested that Mexico is already paying because America has renegotiated this trade deal with Mexico, NAFTA. 
And he claims that the savings America are going to make from this means that indirectly Mexico are funding the wall. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a ridiculous argument. Yeah, that's his, his the line. way he's twisting it yes. again. Eric, Happy New Year to you. Lovely to hear from you again on Late Lunch. Eric wants you, when you go back yeah. beside the man, to get a little fuckle in his clues to ask him to build a high fence around the Amazon and save it as a sanctuary before it's too late. Well, we all know what Trump oh. thinks of this whole global... Look, his, his issues on environmental, he pulled out his Paris Climate Change Agreement um, you know, he's a supporter of fossil fuel. Um, there's been a lot of changes actually affecting the ownership of national parks and lands, beautiful wide swathes of land out near Utah uh, that a lot of Republicans want to use basically for exploration, for mining and, and that, that kind of thing, um, which is pretty shocking. And, and these could have a real legacy after he leaves office. So look, I think his environmental credentials are from another century and a lot of Republicans, a lot of people in his own party actually really back him on that. Now, let's talk a bit about you and bring it all back home for a few minutes before we do have to let you go. You're from Trim in County Mead. Tell us about your family. How many are in the family? Um, well, I'm the eldest of four and my mother, Jane, some people around the country probably know her for music. She uh, involvement in Trim Musical Society and doing um, music. I think Freddie's who's on today. Fred well, Cook is on yeah, in the after three, yeah. yes. He was, I think, knows my mother from music class in Kells. So, um, but my mother's originally from Dublin and my dad is from Kells, from Carnestown in Kells. So, yeah, we grew up in Trim and music was a very big part of my background. Um, I went to school where in Trim, the local secretary school in Trim. Um, but when I went to college, I did music and English uh, in UCD. And then I realised I really loved English literature. I, I wasn't really that into it in school, um, but I really got into it in college. Uh, and I kind of realised I really liked writing. Um, so then I went on and did graduate study um, in, I went to Cambridge University in England, which was a fantastic Yay! experience, <laughs> which was the mo- most difficult thing I've had to do, I have to say. Studied there and did, did a PhD and kind of wanted to get into maybe university lecturing. But around that time, I started really saying, well, I'd love journalism. So I started like a lot of people do. It's the only way I started doing student journalism when I was in Cambridge and getting involved in the local paper, student paper there, writing book reviews and that kind of thing. And then started uh, contacting, I had no contacts or anything, but, um, you know, yourself, Jerry, trying ringing people and uh, contacting uh, newspapers and radio stations. And for years I was doing, writing different pieces for the Irish Times and different publications in England. And then I got a bit of work in RTE. And it's also kind of a, a life lesson that um, I, I'd been working as a researcher on Morning Ireland. And then one day somebody uh, got sick and they were supposed to do the business news on, on the drive time programme. John Murray, who usually does it, was sick. And they said, we're stuck. Somebody has to present the business news. And he trained me in and that day I did it. And then I kind of got into business journalism because that was around the time of the financial crisis. And I had no real knowledge of business. As my biz- accountancy teachers from Trim would, would remember, um, it was never something I thought, thought I was interested in. But I actually found the whole financial business news very interesting and you know, I think if you want to be a journalist, you have to throw your hand at everything, anything. You have to be able to write. So and true. It's, you know, and you, you have to say yes to everything and say, right. And, and you know, the editors there said, well, look, you're showing an aptitude for you can write and you, you learn on the job. So I began kind of being a business journalist then in the Irish Times for about two or three years. And I loved it, as I said, and it was great practice, just writing every day and uh, and then got the job in Brussels for four years. So, that, so look, it's a great career. I love it. But it was hard. You know, uh, I, I really had to work hard at just making the contacts and not getting disillusioned because you just... And that, this is a time when all my friends was the Celtic Tiger and everybody seemed to be doing great and their great jobs and all was well in Ireland. And I was there ringing up people trying to get bits of freelance shifts 
but it did pay off eventually and it's been worth it because I love it. Oh my God, the rest is history, <laughs> as they say at the end of every wonderful story. Now, this year ahead for you again on a personal basis is going to be a massive one because you are getting married. Yes, I am. Yes, yeah. I'm getting married in March, at the end of March. Uh, actually getting married in England, going back to Cambridge. So, But it's the day after Brexit, the 30th of March. So... Um, we hope in your the, life. The do you know something I'm just open. thinking? You, we we talked about it earlier on. You know, I said frying pan to fire. Yeah. You, you're one that arrives with things on significant dates, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, that was the only date available. Now. Was it? But hopefully they won't. Have, they will have stockpiled the food and all that <laughs> in the sure event of a no will. deal. Who is the lucky man? Oh, <laughs> so. Um, it's an Australian guy, Barton is his name, unusual name, uh, McFarlane, and he's originally from Sydney in Australia, but uh, he's in media as well. He's been living in the UK for years. Uh, he works in the BBC. Uh, and uh, we, Where did you meet him? We met again, it, was, it sounds exotic, we met in Switzerland. I, there's um, a, Every January, it's coming up now actually, Davos, people might see it covered on the TV, like Leo Varadkar will be going this year. Yeah. It's a big meeting of business leaders and politicians that takes place in, in this lovely town in Switzerland the movers and shakers go and the media I covered it for the Irish Times there was only one of us and of course there was about 40 people from the BBC there uh, and then on the last evening because it, it's very it's very upmarket so the journalists are very much at the bottom tier and uh, I met him through work there so yeah so uh, so out of 40 this yeah, this guy <laughs> Australian yes. said oh you're interesting <laughs> uh, yeah so um, you are going to live are, are both you going to live in yeah, Washington in Washington yeah he's going to he's been working for the BBC for years but he's more on the TV side so that's kind of interesting because we're both in media but slightly different which I think is great is good and sometimes I do TV and he's always very good on the uh, with the advice on that um, but yeah he'll be based with me now in Washington and I'll be there for another few years at least at least more two years we'll see what happens after that but between Australia Trim Brussels Washington, I'm I don't know where we'll end up. Thinking from Trim to Timbuktu. <laughs> yes, you have so many connections, like a, like a web around the world. I, I say this to people I meet here, and I just sense it from you the minute we met just a short while ago, and as soon as you started to, uh, talking to me, you are passionate and love what you do. Yeah, I do. I do love it, and I appreciate it every day. I really do. Um, I I've, I like writing, and I like. I like the fact that I, I mentioned earlier I did a, a PhD, which is a very specialised piece of work over a number of years. And I, I don't think that suited my kind of my personality. I I, pref- I like about journalism that changes every day and that there's always something new. You have to be interested in the next story and in meeting people. Like the old saying is true, you're not going to get on by sitting at home. You have to go out to everything, meet people, be interested in people. But that's true. You're talking about my background growing up here in Trim. I did a lot of like su- uh, substitute teaching in some of the schools Um, very involved kind of in the local community to my mother and everything. And that's very important that you're out there meeting real people all the time. And, you know, this kind of background, I think Ireland is, is very good for that. Um, that, you know, as a journalist, you can never kind of be struck... In, in behind walls because you're supposed to be reflecting the world you're writing about. So isn't that interesting in the world of today where social media and you know it yourself, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the online stuff is, is very important to be tuned into everything mm. every minute of the day. But that's so interesting. Mm. That will never change what you said there. Yeah. Out, pressing the flesh, being yeah. with people, mixing about. Yeah. And that is that because you you do, you reflect who you're writing about. And if you and, and social media is dangerous because you can get into this tunnel vision, the echo chamber as it's called. Uh, but you know, most people are not on Twitter. 
essentially. So you can't kind of lose sight of that. So I think you do always, no more than a politician, be tuned in to what, what's of, you know, what's of significance to people, what they want to find out about. And I think there is a place, I'm kind of positive about newspapers at the moment, that people want, particularly when there's so much going on in the world, Trump and Brexit, they want a synopsis, they want an analysis going, right, what is going on here in an accessible, kind of digestible way? Because there's too much information sometimes now and conflicting information and, and fake news, most of it by, by people like Donald Trump, unfortunately, with the wrong information that I think there is now, it's given a boost, I think. Like in America, the New York Times and all those papers have had a huge increase in readership since Trump. So this is again one of the great ironies that isn't it funny that even when he leaves office, actually, he will have succeeded in helping newspapers, even though he has criticised them at every single turn. I think people now see the value of news and, and news channels more than ever. Isn't that just great to reflect on that? And may I say as well, you write for a brilliant newspaper and there are a raft of newspapers. I'm not into the comics or the, the you know, the yeah. picture ones and all this uh, show businessy stuff and that nonsense that goes on. But I, I love a good newspaper and I always will love it. I have to say that and I just love to take it up and take my time yeah. and read it. And I know they're online and everything like that. Yeah. And the younger generation, well, that's where they get their news yeah. that has to be developed, I'm sure, yeah, as well. Exactly. But you're cognizant of that, that your newspaper yeah. that you write for is really well regarded. Yeah, it is. And I have to say, I'm very lucky, particularly in Brussels, I saw, frankly, you know, British journalists that were would be writing their articles at the European Commission and they'd ring London, their editors, and they'd be more or less told what to write. I mean, that's exactly what's happened to a lot of those newspapers that are anti-EU. I never had that with the Irish Times. They're given great freedom as a journalist. No one would ever really, I mean, they question on certain things, obviously, but no, I would never be told editorially uh, what to write, take a slant, etc. So I find that a real freedom and it's very important to have that kind of neutral perspective to try and just tell it what it is and try and analyse and make it accessible for people. So will it be Dr. Suzanne <laughs> McFarlane? Are you taking oh, the name? Oh, no, no, it's too, no, No, I know not. for a journalist, that's a funny thing either. You yeah, can't. You can't you have really to keep your name, your name is, don't yeah, you? It's exactly. So you no, the, lin- the lynch is staying, yes. So that is not going to go anywhere at all. There are more messages coming in. Shout out to Suzanne Lynch. Don't let her forget about our father's connection to Minolte. Yeah. Continued best he, wishes. Oh, very nice. Yeah, my dad is from kind of Carlinstown, Minolte area. I think he's down there today, actually. So, yeah, that's where there he's from. There you go. Nice to hear from you on late lunch this afternoon. I will let you go at last. We've uh, talked and I'll tell you one thing. The last while has just flown by. Brilliant to meet you on the show today. We'll keep in touch. We may Absolutely. give you a tinkle from time to time. Absolutely. I'm sure you'll be back to me again to talk more in the future. But congratulations on doing a fine job in Washington for the Irish Times. Long may it continue. And best of luck to yourself and Barton with the marriage coming up in March. For the moment, Dr. Suzanne, <laughs> thank you thank for you joining much. me on the show this afternoon. It's been a real pleasure, Suzanne Lynch. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.